Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where I talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Ayan Wilcox and her team at Clinic Community Health are committed to helping Winnipeggers care for their mental, physical, and emotional health. They do this by offering community health services focused on meeting people where they're at. Now, healthcare during COVID-19 has been a struggle for everyone, and Ayn and her team are doing their best to continue to provide the care people often desperately need. One of the things that I've seen and heard, uh, and particularly over the last couple of years around that provincial clinical plan, if you will, is the importance and value of community. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the role that community health plays Uh, in people's wellness, in community wellness, is incredibly important. I sat down with Ayn Wilcox, Interim Executive Director at Clinic Community Health, to talk about the current state of healthcare and healthcare workers in 2021, and how her team continue to strive for equity, collaboration, and a holistic approach to health. Thank you for listening to Because and Effect. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined via Zoom by Ayn Wilcox. She is the Interim Executive Director at Clinic Community Health. Ayn, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's my pleasure to have you. Um, Obviously, um, it's been a crazy couple of years, and I'm guessing it's been a crazy at least year for you since taking this role as the Interim Executive Director at Clinic, because you just said that you've been there for one year. So what was it like taking this new role uh, in the middle of a global pandemic at a community health center? What was that been like for you? Um, It's, you know, it's been very interesting. Uh, I took this role I started with clinic in August of last year, uh, as you say, right in the middle of the pandemic, or what what we hoped would be near the end of the pandemic (laughs) at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, And also right after a a significant move uh, in location for clinic. So I when I joined, it was about a week into that. Um, And prior to that, I was with shared health, actually. Uh, So had been doing a lot of work in the health system. Um, and certainly a lot of focus around uh, COVID and the response and, and keeping folks safe. Um, and so it's been, it's been really interesting. I mean, I think COVID is one of those things that happen in life that really make you evaluate where you want to be and what you want to be doing. And, uh, and that's a big part of the reason why I came over to clinic. For sure. So maybe for our listeners who do, who haven't heard of clinic, just give us a sort of the brief rundown about what the mandate is and what your what your goals are and what you guys do over there. Yeah, for sure. So clinic community health is a community health agency working in uh, downtown West Broadway in Winnipeg. Um, we have a fairly broad mandate. Um, some of our services are uh, local, geographically speaking, uh, and some of them are provincial. So we uh, have primary care clinic, we have the uh, um, trans health clinic for folks who are interested in doing a medical transition. We have uh, fairly large uh, STI clinics that we run, teen clinics. Uh, on the health services side, we have uh, fairly broad counseling services as well. So we run things like drop-in counseling services. We've got uh, long-term trauma counseling. We've got a sexual assault crisis program uh, and and a number of other programs in there. And uh, we also do uh, crisis and distressed distress services. Um, So 24-7 crisis lines, uh, the Manitoba suicide uh, 
suicide line and and those and we also do some work around uh specifically around addiction so we have a program called mobile withdrawal that is a 30-day detox program for folks who want to stay in community who have a safe place to stay uh and then we also have the option of uh, short-term stay beds with uh with our partners so everything pretty much so to keep pretty much well. everything yeah yep. um has thing have things just been you know, busting at the seams because of all the, you know, additional trauma and stress and addiction and everything that's going to have come from this pandemic? Or what are you seeing on the ground floor when it comes to just the average person and how they're dealing with, with the pandemic and everything? Are you guys, you know, working to your, till the, working, what's the saying, burning the candle at both ends? Or, or how, how's everything, how's everyone doing over at clinic right now when it comes to just the, the workload and, and everything that's been going down? Yeah, that's a really, that's an interesting question and a little bit of a, a complex one to try to answer. I think in terms of how people are doing, I, that's a very important question to me and, and to our leadership team. Um, it's, you know, the pandemic and, and the fact that we're still talking about the pandemic, still, you know, planning for a fourth wave and, and what might come after that. Uh, is taking its toll on everybody, I would say, across the sector, whether that's the health system, social services system, not for profits, it's taking its toll uh, on our clients, our community members, and, and our staff and our volunteers. And so um, what we are really trying to do is find ways to help the helpers. Um, and, you know, to be able to find ways to be able to support folks who are um, doing this work day in and day out. Uh, in terms of, you know, um, capacity, I, that's, that was a struggle coming into the pandemic, I think, in a number of areas, just having enough capacity to be able to support folks. Uh, and that's certainly been significantly impacted, both in terms of our own internal capacity. So staff and volunteers either not being comfortable, uh, you know, certainly in the early days, that was a concern for, for some folks. Uh, so we lost a pretty significant number of our volunteers who decided to take a pause. Mm. Um, understandably so, we respect that, uh, but it had an impact on our own capacity. Of course, just the need for people to go get tested and self-isolate and not be able to be at work, that has an impact. Um, and, and certainly, you know, uh, folks that we are tr trying to support, um, provide program services to, um, we're seeing uh, increasing needs, increasing complexity, and, uh, and certainly higher volumes. Taking care of the caretakers is, yeah, something that I don't think people really think about or hadn't maybe as much before this pandemic. Um, my partner's a midwife, and she is, you know, on the ground floor visiting with pregnant women every day almost and just seeing the additional stress of having to now navigate the pandemic and everything that comes along with it and then the increased anxiety from her clients and the increased anxiety that she's feeling and you know I, I think a lot of times people who are in that role my mom's a nurse as well or retired nurse as well and I feel like a lot of times people in that role often sacrifice their own well-being for to take care of others and that and that we're now hopefully not forcing people to do that and trying to to really shine a light on mental health and taking care of ourselves. So how are you keeping your staff mentally well when going when they're the ones that have to bear the brunt of the trauma that people are going through on a day-to-day -day basis and and seeing all these things and being exposed to that. So like how are you trying to balance taking care of people and also taking care of the caretakers like you said? Mhm. Mm I I don't 
I don't know, you know, we're still trying to figure that out, to mm -hmm. be quite honest. Um, we are asking our staff what they need, um, what would be helpful for them. You know, we're like many organizations asking our staff for their feedback in terms of what a potential return to work might look like and mm -hmm. how can we support and be a little bit more flexible, perhaps in areas where we might, you know, two years ago not have considered. Um, and, uh, and trying to find ways for people to connect. You know, we've had some staff who have been working from home this whole time. Uh, and then we have staff who their work, they have to be on site to be able to provide it and everything in between. Um, but we know that even um, for the staff who are working on site, those connections that they used to have throughout the day, um, I, one of our nurses, uh, described it in such a way that it just stuck with me. She talked about the protective moments they used to have through the day mm. uh, in sharing workspace, right? Because now we've we've um, distributed people throughout the building and, and many times they're kind of working in their own, uh, their own office or exam room or what have you. And she talked about the protective moments they used to have where just through the day, those um, natural conversations would happen and, uh, and the protective nature of that and that, you know, working in isolation um, you know, has an impact. And so we're trying to think about creative ways that still um, obviously follow public health orders and, and the spirit and, and uh, guidance that we're being provided, um, but trying to find different ways where we can have some of those connections uh, and, um, and support community uh, internally as well. So important for sure. I think too, it's not, it's not necessarily all negative and all bad, but because we now have the opportunity when it comes to counseling to maybe do a Zoom call or, you know, being able to reach out to more people in less time, thanks to technology. How have you guys embraced technology and maybe, you know, used all these opportunities to make more connections and try to build a different community, even if it is digital, but it still is reaching out and connecting with people um, that you may not have been able to connect with so frequently or have you guys yeah what's that been like for you mm -hmm. I, I think technology has been uh an important enabler and um working in the health system as i have for the last 16 years we're uh, oftentimes a little bit behind uh in terms of what we can offer it's allowed us to enable um some technology that we haven't been able to and so uh you know primary care as an example um you know we still see clients in person when we need to um, or when that is uh, what the client is asking for, uh, or where the, you know they don't have technology, uh, or don't have a, a private space or a safe space mm -hmm. where they can um, have an appointment. So we certainly still uh, do see clients in person where when we need to, um, but it has allowed us to have a little bit more um, efficiency, if you will, um, by not having to go from meeting to meeting or having to travel. Um, it's allowed us in some of our counseling programs and, and particularly, you know, drop-in counseling, which was very much uh, people in, in the community, um, you know, whether that's kind of our West Broadway neighborhood or whether that's the broader Winnipeg community, we now can open up our drop-in counseling services provincially, right, so that folks who might otherwise not have been able to access it uh, are able to. In our mobile withdrawal program, the one I, I mentioned where it's, you know, up to 30 days, that is, uh, was designed to be an in-person, you know, connecting at least on a daily basis with clients. Um, when the province went into code red and, and we were evaluating our services, we spoke about moving to a bit of a hybrid model uh, where, you know, um, 
the clients are seen in person for the first number of days while they're in that more acute detox phase. Uh, but then if they're comfortable with it, moving to a little bit of a hybrid where they might be seen in person every second day. And what that's allowed us to do is to increase the capacity of the people that we can maintain in a cohort at any given time uh, and still have that, that connection uh, that is so vital to that program. It's very important. Yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about the post-pandemic um, mental health pandemic that's going to be happening and currently is happening. Um, do you think, I mean, we don't need to get into specifics, but do you think that we put enough emphasis on mental health versus physical health and like protecting against the virus is important, obviously, but when we have also maybe sacrificed uh, a lot of the mental health aspects in protecting ourselves from the virus. I don't think people really understand maybe the long-term effects of what it's been like to isolate for two years or to not be able to be social or, or, or to see other people or whatever the case may be. I just want to hear your perspective on, on the mental health versus the physical health and trying to balance staying physically safe and healthy, but also sacrificing our mental health and our social well-being and, and everything like that. Maybe I'm just curious what your perspective is on that. I think it's been a really incredibly difficult challenge, I think, mm -hmm. for folks to try to navigate. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be the one who's creating all those public health orders and making the decisions about how to do that, because I think those folks also understand the impacts, um, both in terms of physical health, because we know that sometimes what that means is people can't access, um, you know, uh, diagnostics, for example, or surgery, and that's something we're that uh, we're certainly talking about still. Um, but also mental health, right? And, and that wellness, that connection um, that is so vital to our health. Um, I think it's one of the really beautiful things about being in community, um, mm. working in the sector is that we, we can look at that more holistically and take that into account in how we're delivering our programs and services. So I wouldn't say that we've got it 100% perfect, but it's always one of those things that we're talking about at clinic. And I know that our, our partners across community health agencies and, uh, and, and the community organizations that are so, so incredibly important doing amazing work uh, is to take a look at where, what, what are the risks uh, and how do you try to balance to make sure that, you know, of course, still following public health orders, uh, but what's, what's going to be the, um, you know, we talk about harm reduction, we talk about it primarily from a, a substance use perspective, but, but what is a harm reduction approach uh, to how we provide these services to folks? Yeah, it's very complicated. There's so many different layers and elements and everything. And, and a lot of the conversation right now is, is around burnout and, you know, the, doctors and nurses and, and frontline workers who have been doing this for almost two years now. And yeah, it's nice to bang our pots once or, you know, the, the sort of hero word gets thrown around a lot, but um, I'm just curious as, as to your thought on the, just how the heroism is being portrayed, but there doesn't seem to be maybe the action behind the support maybe if, if that makes any sense I, I, I'm just curious you've been in this industry for 16 years you said so in the last two or five years or so when when people have started to understand the value of those frontline healthcare workers and, and especially in the last two years do you think the average Manitoban or average Canadian um, 
the our opinion of frontline healthcare workers is is changing or altering or, or evolving or do you think people don't haven't yet really understood the amount of work that's being put in to to keep people well and keep people doing their best and be able to to thrive and survive in this in these crazy times well, I'm I'm ever the optimist. Um, That's good. First of all, important. So, uh, but but I also think and and see across the board. I think the vast majority of people understand um, the uh, the life's work, the heart's work um, that our healthcare providers, mental health professionals, community organizations are putting into this work. Uh, and I think that they're um, respectful and grateful for that work. I think, you know, there might be at times a small vocal minority um, that take more of the, uh, make, take more of the space. Uh, but I think uh, across the board, what I've been seeing is that I think people really do understand and respect, even if they don't walk in their shoes. I think that there's a lot of um, gratitude. I needed your optimism there because it's it's hard for me to, see, especially on social media where where the 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 minority the loud minority often gets the you know gets the top billing as it were. Um, how much of your job is just educating people on what's actually the case? And there's so much min misinformation out there. There's so many per perceptions that aren't accurate. I, I mean, I'm speaking. I'm obviously biased because my partner's you know front on the front lines and stuff and she deals with a lot of misinformation and a lot of um a lack of education on certain topics but how much of your day-to-day -day is just saying actually that's not the way it is here's here's the science here's the here's the truth here's the data and how much of it is just sort of correcting misconceptions when it comes to um when it comes to health well, so for me personally, that that's not something that I find I have to spend a lot of time doing. Some of our frontline workers may find right. um, that they're providing more of an education. But again, coming back to what community health is, the, 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 the principle is really about meeting people where they're at and understanding that people will come in with different, um, you know, perhaps different education levels, different uh, um capacity to understand the science or what have you, but also they come in with different lived experience. Um, and so there, there are many reasons that people may have a different opinion or belief around something. And our goal is to really meet them where they're at, uh, you know, provide the information that we have, provide them in an environment uh, where, you know, we do build relationships and trust. And then you know, people need to make their own decisions around that. Right. Beautifully said, for sure. What do, you, what do you see as your biggest challenge for clinic and for your team in the next, you know, even just one year? What do you think is going to be the biggest hurdle that you need to overcome or the biggest thing that you need to focus on? Yeah, um, <laughs> there are a few big things. <laughs> I think that, you know, we're, I'm, I'm one month into this role, uh, six weeks. Uh, at this point as an interim executive director, I've been uh, with clinic, as you said, just over a year. Um, so I'm still also learning uh, and I'm doing that by, by trying to listen mm. and, um, and, and by learning from, you know, the folks who've been doing this work for so long uh, within clinic and, and across the community. Um, I would say that for us, I think, uh, 
there are a couple of areas where I think we're probably going to need to go. We're undergoing a strategic planning process, and that's mm. going to help to to um, to crystallize what that plan looks like. I think um, stabilizing. And so that's going to mean, you know, a couple of different things, but I think stabilizing our workforce, um, helping the helpers, providing those supports that they need across the sector, folks are leaving. Um, and that's, that's worrisome because we know that the needs are going to be greater, not less than going forward. So um, trying to provide the best environment for people to do what they do so well is, I think, really important. I think... Um, that psychological and that cultural safety in the workplace and, and for community members is another area, right? Making sure that um, we're partnering with other organizations, other individuals, other leaders around how we provide our services uh, or how we can support them and how they provide their services. So I, I really see that as the work for the next year, um, but, but we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> there's so many different layers and elements of the conversation. I mean, how, what was going through your mind when this job came, I came like, why did you take this job? Because obviously it's crazy. It's a crazy time to, to jump into this role, right? Like what was your mindset when this was all coming together? Um, so first and foremost, it was a call to my heart. So I had been working for what was Diagnostic Services Manitoba for 13 years, which ultimately became Shared Health um, in, you know, what was a really fulfilling job working with wonderful people. Um, I was uh, really involved in a lot of the, the provincial planning that was happening both around clinical planning and, uh, and then COVID and incident command, um, you know, just in terms of how we at diagnostics were responding and supporting across the province. And, um, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for the work that was being done. One of the things that I've seen and heard, uh, and particularly over the last couple of years around that provincial clinical plan, if you will, is the importance and value of community. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, the role that community health plays uh, in people's wellness, in community wellness, is incredibly important. And it's always been something I've been very interested in. I've been volunteering in, in the sector for, you know, most of my adult life. Uh, I, you know, as a teenager, accessed services at community health agencies, uh, clinic being one of those, a couple of others as well. And so they've always held a really big place in my heart. And uh, when this role came up, it was completely different than anything I was doing. Um, it was a significant shift and it just called to my heart. And so I, uh, you know, when they interviewed me, I was like, oh, this is crazy. I don't know if I, you know, what, what am I thinking, right? I've been 15 years I'm 50 years old, do I really want to be making a, a change? But um, the, the big answer was yes, because not because the work that I was doing before wasn't meaningful, it's incredibly meaningful and important, um, but because community is, it's like coming full circle. This is, it's where my heart is. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's the reason for the change. Beautiful answer. I love it. Yeah, that, that word has taken on a whole new meaning, I think because I didn't realize the importance to my own personal mental health when I, when they just took away my my ability to go out for beers with my hockey team or my volleyball team or just that that 
I didn't, I knew I had, it was enjoyable, but I didn't realize the the profound effect it would have on my mental health to take away someone's community. And yeah, well, you can still have a Zoom meeting and a group chat and what, you know, but it's not, nothing, nothing replaces sitting across the table from someone looking into their eyes and having a real conversation, right? So when you, when you see the orders are to almost take away people's community, not to, that's a maybe poor way to phrase it, but when community is being, um, removed for a lot of different or for a lot of different people how does your job shift from from being able to try to keep people sane and keep people able to to you know handle their days when their communities are be and their and their safety nets are sometimes being taken away from them like has that been a conversation that you and your team have been having um, I like, uh, we have many conversations around, um, you know, COVID and, and how do we, you know, make sure that we're following public health orders and, and, and of course, making sure that we're doing everything to keep people safe uh, from COVID. Um, but I, I think, you know, we're constantly, again, trying to find that right balance um, of being accessible and uh, being a place where people can come. And um, so I think, I, I think, you know, for the most part, as much as anybody can, we're, we're, we're striking that right balance most of the time and we're adjusting when we need to, but it, you know, we're sort of just working in an environment where this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, how can we be creative to provide other options for folks? And again, working with partners, right? So technology, we know technology can be a barrier for folks. So, you know, there, there were options. We, we West Broadway community organization, um, you know, worked on getting a grant to support technology and made that available to a number of organizations in our area so we could offer that to clients. So I think we're constantly trying to find ways to uh, be able to support folks in community. Yeah, for sure. I I, I want to acknowledge that obviously my, like, I'm quite privileged in my situation. I'm able to work from home, you know, like I my pandemic experience is nowhere near what a lot of vulnerable po populations are going through. Um, would you would you or can you just remark upon like how many you you mentioned um, transitioning and and situations like that? I, I'm just curious how the pandemic is adversely affecting more vulnerable populations rather than just sort of middle class average people. Like obviously it's it's difficult for everyone, but can you just talk about a little bit about how people who are already in vulnerable situations are m even more affected by the pandemic than just other mi maybe middle class people are? Sure, I guess maybe what I would do is provide a bit of an example. And um, this is one of the things that uh, clinic and our partners with four other community health agencies, uh, we were able to put together in November. Um, when, uh, so we generally speaking for our health services, we've got um, some uh, drop-in services like our STI clinic and our teen clinic, but generally speaking, you have to be a client of, of clinic primary care to come in to see a physician as an example, right? Um, what we saw in September and October of last year was an increasing number of folks who might be coming in to access things like harm reduction supplies, naloxone, um, you know, maybe some emergency food, which is, you know, uh, some services that we um, take very seriously and, and uh, recognize, you know, that, that that's also part of our part of our role in communities to be able to support folks with some of those things. And people were coming in and their, their primary 
reason for coming in might have absolutely nothing to do with COVID, for example. Uh, but you know, they'd come in, they'd go through the screening process, and they're symptomatic. And uh, so we were trying to figure out, like, how can we support folks like this? What you know, it, what's the mechanism that we could get them in? Um, have a conversation if they're open to getting tested. Uh, if they're not open to getting tested, like, how can we make sure that they're having that that health intervention um, so that they know what they need to do to keep themselves and, and their folks safe? Um, and so. Uh, we, you know, at the time when everybody was pretty much closing their doors and going to virtual, uh, because we were going into code red, the numbers were skyrocketing and particularly in, you know, downtown Point Douglas areas. Um, we opened up a seven day a week walk-in clinic. Uh, we called it a same day care clinic and we partnered. So, you know, we had uh, staff um, providers from Nine Circles Community Health there. We had Women's Health Clinic was supporting it. We were working in partnership with CERC and Occupational Health Center. And, uh, and so that could be anything for people coming in, uh, again, if they wanted to access uh, harm reduction supplies or they needed a little bit of food or they needed, you know, five minutes to warm up and use a washroom. Uh, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that we were available. Uh, so for a period of time, they, we did that for seven days a week. And then as we saw, you know, things starting to shift and, you know, other organizations perhaps being able to open their doors a little bit more, um, that we could start to scale that back. And so we, we continued with that service until the spring. Uh, and we've, you know, that, that's one of those things that, you know, if, if you have a phone and you have a safe place and, you know, you can call your doctor and have your appointment that way and that works and you can send a photo, that's great. Um, but for many folks, that's just not accessible to them for various reasons. And so, you know, how can we support? Meet people where they're at. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about. You, you mentioned multiple times just sort of the community and the partnerships that you've made. What What is it like working in Winnipeg and just sort of being able to pick up the phone and call whoever that you need to talk to? And most people from my experience at least pick up the phone and, you know, are, are happy to work with you. So what, what's it like just sort of being a part of this community and being a part of these partnerships and, and, and sort of facilitating these connections here in Winnipeg. What, what, what's that experience been for you? Uh, it's been awesome. Um, it, you know, I think we, we do partner uh, across community and across the health system and, and uh, you know, family services and all of that. So I think that um, it, again, there are amazing people working across the whole sector. Uh, and folks want to step in and, and find ways to be able to support. And uh, again, you know, it doesn't have to be clinic that's doing it all. Uh, we are supporting other organizations when they pick up the phone and ask and, and trying to just, you know, find ways to, to work together. We are all working with limited resources, whether that's dollars or whether that's, you know, the people who are so critical to this work. And um, so the way that we can do the most uh, and do it in a good way is uh, to be partnering. Absolutely, for sure. So if anyone out there is listening and wants to support your work, I know the website is klinic.mb.ca, but how can people get connected with you and connected with clinic and if they want to support the cause and try to you know, give you some more man hours or dollars or, or both? Yeah, for sure. I think um, our website is probably one of the best places. We're, we're on uh, social media as well. Uh, and as you said, K-L-I-N-I-C. Uh, so clinic, clinic, let me try that again, clinic with a K. Um, and uh, we've got contact information there on the website. And I don't 
that's so funny because I don't actually have the phone number up right away, but I will find it for you. Um, and, uh, and they can certainly reach out. I've got uh, the reception phone line or the centralized intake line, which is, but probably reception. reception. Would be so so great. Thank you. 204 784 Four zero nine zero. That's two zero four. So well. Seven eight four four zero nine zero. And at the end of our time together, we do a little segment called "Just Because," where it's the same seven questions, all about the causes you care about and the effect that it's had on your lives. Thus, because and effect. Are you okay to go through those with us? I am for sure. All right. Great. Question one is: What is the very first cause you ever remember caring about? Um. So my mother is. Uh, as I was growing up. Uh, and, and still is very much so a, a very active social justice advocate. Um, so for sure, we were aware of a number of causes uh, as we were growing up, um, really about injustices and equities uh, that, that people were facing both locally and, and, and internationally, if you will. Um, what got me most involved in community work was my desire to learn more about and find ways to support uh, community work that was focused on women and their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, things around gender-based violence, oppression uh, in its many forms, uh, and reproductive health rights. So that was how I got involved in, in my volunteer work uh, as a young adult. We still have a ways to go, but I'm just curious of your perspective, having worked in this area for so long. How, how, what do you think the progression has been like, even over the last, you know, 15 years or so when it comes to, when it comes to those issues and, and how... Um, the things that women have to deal with that maybe even 20 years ago was just, you know, hush, hush and not talked about and there was no services and you just kind of had to figure it out on your own. How do you think we've evolved as a, as a community to, to deal with some of these issues? Yeah, that's a complex question. I would say that at least in terms of my own learning and understanding, um, what I have a, a better understanding of now is the intersectionality of those mm. issues and the layers um, that come into play when you know we talk about gender, however you identify your gender. We talk about gender. We talk about um, you know sexual sexuality. We talk about uh, race, religion, culture. Um, so, you know, I would say that the events, particularly of the last year or two, tell us we have a long way to go, still. Um, to be able to say that we're really moving the needle in a meaningful way. Yeah, I think so much of it is just learning what the words mean, you know, like as soon as you learn what the true definition of oppression is or the true definition of intersectionality is, you know, like you can start to understand, okay, they're, you know, like full circle holistic approach to 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 helping people it's different than it was back you don't just treat the injury anymore you you have to understand the entire circle of where this person's coming from what the context is and before you can really get into just you know putting a band-aid on the on the wound right and i think once people understand the definitions of certain words like intersectionality i think it really helps with understanding how to approach every single situation not just you know whatever the 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 situation might be yeah great answer thank you uh question two what if money and politics and logistics were no issue at all for you you could just snap your fingers and something would happen what's the first thing you would do in support of your current cause uh there are a few things i'd like to add on that list but i guess uh, i would start with just saying that um clinic community health you know our vision is engaged in healthy communities 
And so, you know, we spoke earlier about the kinds of services that we provide to folks. And, and I think that those are incredibly important and we're, we're privileged to be able to provide those services uh, in the community. I, I would have to say if, you know, money, politics and logistics were no issue at all, universal basic income would be the thing I think I would say uh, would be the starting point. So people, you know, that, that they can access safe housing uh, and they have enough food to eat and they don't have to make decisions about, you know, do they get a prescription versus uh, buy their food or do they, you know, those kinds of questions. I think that that's, a, a, that's, that's where I would focus. Yeah, great answer. I, I love that this conversation has been more um, on the mainstream of, of just people deserve the basics, you know, and it's weird that anyone would deny someone, you know, food, clothing, shelter, water, anything in general. It seems as though to me, at least, why would that, why would, we live in a first world country, supposedly, why, why does not everyone have the same opportunities for just the basics? And it boggles my mind that people argue against it. But that's a whole nother podcast. We could probably get into that for another hour, but we'll we'll skip on to question number three. Um, what's the biggest mis misunderstanding or stigma about your cause? Something that I've always been tried to be really mindful of and and have been, I guess, maybe sensitive to at times is this notion that it happens to somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, or that, you know, when we're uh, doing work. Uh, in community and, you know, we're volunteering, it's to help the other uh, when really, um, in, in some cases, I, I guess perhaps um, that might be the case, but it's, it's only because of, you know, we're, we're only, I'm, I'm not saying this very well, but basically we, we are all connected um, and, uh, and, at times they're only, sometimes it's luck, sometimes it's, you know, uh, timing, but we, it could be any one of us. Uh, and, and so I, I think it's just that idea that um, it isn't just somebody else in a different neighborhood. It could be people that are living right next to you, but you don't know that they're dealing with uh, you know, they're not sure how they're going to pay their bills at the end of the month, or they're not sure how they're going to feed their children, those kinds of things. And I, I guess the other part of the othering for me is that by making sure that everybody has what they need uh, through that social safety net, whatever that is, universal basic income, um, we're all better off, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't it doesn't mean that for me who does have uh, privilege and, and I do have enough money to, you know, today pay my bills and, and to be able to afford food. Um, and I have a good life, a really good life um, that I'm grateful for. Uh, it, we're all better off by supporting and making sure that everybody has those basic necessities met. Um, so yeah, I guess beautifully said. No, great. You were you were you were um, eloquent, and that is exactly. It was a great answer. Thank you. Uh, question four: What's a recent victory, either personally or professionally, that you'd like to share? I mean, you've only been in this role for six weeks or whatever you said, so maybe not professionally. But what's a recent victory that you're that you're happy with? 
Yeah, I don't know if I would use the word victory, but certainly something that I'm incredibly proud of has been our, our response at clinic to COVID. Um, and that is, you know, being able to stand up. We, we also run a COVID assessment clinic. Uh, so, you know, and we, we did that in the early days, started in, in September, right after I started. Um, and so again, making sure that uh, folks can access the services they need. Uh, most proud of that same day care clinic that we partnered with the four organizations with. It was at a time when the health system was really struggling. Uh, there was a call out for community health to participate in redeployment of a number of our staff and, and we did, we participated in that. So we had, you know, a number of staff who uh, helped out with other organizations, but as a group, um, we're represented by Manitoba Association of Community Health Centers, MAC. Uh, but through the conversations, what we talked about at, at MAC was really that, you know, we also need to step up in the areas that we know that we, th this is what we do our work and this is what we know best. You know, our, many of our staff don't, um, aren't familiar with working in a personal care home or in a hospital. Uh, we recognize that there's a need and, and we'll support that in whatever way we can, but really the best place that we can support is in community. And so many of our staff are redeployed to uh, alternate isolation shelters, particularly connected with uh, the Main Street Project shelter that was stood up. Uh, we were, you know, had staff that were supporting the testing happening at Thunderbird House and, and we created the same day care clinic. Um, we came together and we provided more services and, and really ultimately the kinds of services that help keep people out of hospital in the first place. Mm -hmm. There is going to be so many stories from people that have been on the front lines, as we say, and dealing with the the most difficult situations that this pandemic has created. And I think you and your staff are number one on that list of, oh my goodness, there's got to be some crazy stories of people of everything that uh, that we've seen and had to deal with so like shout out to your team and and you for for every for everyone on the front lines that are that are making the keeping the world spinning essentially right it's um i don't think people really understand what's been going on <laughs> in that way so um thank you for sharing some of the stories for sure uh question five what's the uh, best piece of advice that you've ever been given um, I, so I, I tend to see bears everywhere. Uh, I, literal bears, you mean? Well, sometimes, sometimes. Okay. Um, but I, I am always kind of thinking about where, where's the risk? What's, what's coming up? What's around the corner? Those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I would say that the advice, one piece of advice I've, I've again, had the privilege of, of receiving much advice over the years and, and teachings, um, is not to be so afraid. Uh, of those bears, uh, face them head on, um, you know, consider all of the options, consider what the risks are, mitigate where you can, but don't be so afraid that you don't try something new or different. Mm, yeah, especially in, in your line of work, you have to be on the cutting edge of things because everything is constantly changing, right? So you have to be willing to, yeah, give those a go for sure. Great answer. Lovely. Uh, question six, what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you could speak with her right now? You know, I, so I, I listened to a couple of your podcasts um, mm. prior to this, just to make sure I had a, you know, a sense of, of what, what to expect um, and, and how to be able to respond because public speaking and, and these kinds of conversations are not something I have the opportunity to do very often, nor am I always very comfortable. Um, but you've made that really easy. Thank you. Well, thank that. you. 
No problem. Um, this particular question, I don't know that I can answer. I think honestly, I, I don't know that I would give my 10 year old self any advice. Um, I, my 10 year old self wouldn't have listened, uh, first of all. Um, and, and, and I think in many ways, like, you know, I look back and there are a few things I think, oh man, I, you know, I wish I would have done this or I, I should have done that. Uh, probably more than a few of those things. But for the most part, I had to get, go through all of those things to be where I am today. And it's a pretty good place to be. Great answer. I love that. I love that. Yeah. We wouldn't be who we are without our experiences, right? So you wouldn't want to change. Yeah. Very, very good answer. Cool. Uh, last question. What do you want to be remembered for? So I would say, um, you know, there's uh, it, most, uh, most nations, Indigenous nations have this worldview of all my relations, this interconnectedness that exists. And I would say that what I would like to be remembered for is being a good relation, and whether that's personally or professionally. Um, and uh, with people and with all of the uh, animate objects around us, if you will, all of the beings that exist. Very good answer. I mean, our interaction has been wonderful. I will remember you as a great interaction and a great conversation. I think you need to give yourself a little bit more credit when it comes to you know public speaking, if this, if this can be considered public speaking, because uh, I'm walking away more educated, more inspired, and um, just more optimistic about the future, because uh, if people like you are running things, then I think we're in good hands. Uh, but thank you for all the work you do. Thank you for uh, the conversation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for talking. And uh, thank you for everything. Thanks so much for everything that you're doing as well. I appreciate it. No problem. Ain Wilcox, the executive or interim executive director at Clinic. Again, it's klinic.mb.ca for more information. And thanks again for being here. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you again to Ain Wilcox for the conversation today. Uh, really lightning, really illuminating. And I'm really grateful that she was so optimistic because uh, as I mentioned a few times it's hard to stay optimistic when you see the sort of current state of the healthcare system in our province and and how we've been kind of struggling to keep things going and uh, yeah I'm, I'm just very very honored that she was able to speak with us and just shed some more light on what's happening sort of at the ground level when it comes to community health and, and how people are doing so uh, yeah thanks Ayn and thank you to your team for everything that you've been doing all music on this show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his music at trentonburton.com. Because in Effect is a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation. You can learn more about the foundation and what we're up to by visiting at WPGFDN on all social media accounts or by searching www.wpgfdn.org uh, or just search with the Winnipeg Foundation on Google and you'll be able to find a whole slew of resources that uh, if you want to support the cause. You can find me at Nolan Bicknell on all social media accounts. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. Next week we is our uh, season finale. We have a fantastic guest uh kevin lamaru who have wanted to speak with since this podcast launched a uh, real interesting conversation coming down the pipe so uh yeah tune in for that same time same place and remember it is health that is the real wealth and not pieces of gold or silver bye-bye